you pray with me this morning? Father God, we come humbly before you, the great I am. And Lord, we ask that you would see us where we are right now. Father God, we ask that you would know our hearts, that you would search our hearts, that you would find those ways in us that are not okay. Father God, that you would lead us in your way everlasting, that you would restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Lord, I know that every time we gather, whether it's five of us or whether it's more, it doesn't matter. I know that every time we gather together, there's, there's always things that are on our hearts. And so, Father God, we take a moment to pray to you. We take a moment to offer our hearts to you because, Father God, we desperately need you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would meet with us here in this moment, Father God, as we take time to open up your word. We just we ask that you would empty us of ourselves. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that you would allow us to, to, rem, to, to remove those distractions, Father God, so that we can focus on you. We ask that you would just help us to see your truth and your word and your power. And Lord, we, we are so grateful to serve the King of Kings. And so right now, Lord, we, we, we just ask that you would help us to take our focus off of all those things and to place it on you. And Lord, I pray, especially for me, don't allow me to say what I want to say today, Father God. I just ask that you would speak through me today. It's in your holy name that we pray. And all God's children said, amen. I feel like today's sermon needs to come with a bit of a disclaimer. I'm, I'm writing this and I'm reading through this, and I think that this is probably one of the most challenging pieces of sermon I've ever written in my entire life, because it really fits hard with the season that I'm in right now. And I just want you to know that as you hear me saying some of these words, I don't want you to imagine in your head that I think or even am close to being the perfect parent. But these are some of the things that God has really worked on my heart this week. And so today we are, we're finishing up this series that we've been in called Chupa. It's the Hebrew word for wedding tent. It's the place where our families became a reality. And this series is all about the relationships that happen under our roofs and how God's word can bring unity and relational growth to those relationships in our households. The first week we focused on marriage Last week, we talked about what it looks like to honor our father and mother. And, and if either of those messages sound, man, I, I wish I would have been here. It's okay. You can, you can go online and you can watch them on Facebook or YouTube. In fact, my mom loves to watch us a week late on YouTube because there's subtitles. <laughs> and yes, my mom watches me and it makes me feel special. Okay, leave me alone. <laughs> this week, we're going to Ephesians 6, 4. And it's a challenge for us as parents to raise our children well. This is what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. 
Like every message in this series, you can't count yourself out if you're not a parent. Firstly, you might be a parent someday. Secondly, as a kid, this might give you a little bit of insight into your parents' world. And lastly, and most importantly, you do not have to be a biological mom or dad to be a parent. Scripture gives us two directives. To parent in a way that does not provoke our children to anger and to bring up our kids with discipline and instruction. It's interesting that Paul uses these words, discipline and instruction. What he's telling us is that as parents, it isn't just about telling our kids everything they're doing wrong, but creating a space for them so that they can learn how to do it the right way. Which means showing them what to do and how to do it and responding to their failures with grace and encouragement so they don't get frustrated. At this point in the message, this is where I I duck and hide from projectiles (laughs) because I made that sound like it's an easy task and it's not. My son Atlas is one year old and he has discovered buttons this week. So he just loves pressing buttons. I have this little Theragun that I've been using on my back, and I'll be laying on the ground, and all of a sudden it turns off, and yep, Atlas is behind me. He's pushed the off button. And for some reason, I don't know why, you guys know if you've got kids, they do weird stuff. If I'm laying on the ground, he loves to pull up my shirt. He loves to just look at my belly button and then just push it. And he'd been doing this for a little bit, and so I wasn't super concerned. But all of a sudden, the other day, he grabbed a fistful of hair and just, woo! And I didn't even think, I just reacted. I grabbed his hand and I said, no! And just had like this look of terror on his face. He just started crying, and I felt like the worst parent in the world. Guys, parenting is hard. Partly because we're teaching stuff that we, we haven't even fully figured out yet. You know, I don't, even, I don't even always know how to regulate my own emotions. I'm supposed to teach that to my kids. This means that we're never going to be perfect parents, and that's okay. Our, our mistakes don't have to define the type of parent that we strive to be. The heart of this message today isn't about feeling sorry for everything that you've done wrong, but understanding that every new moment is an opportunity for you to be a better parent. God is not calling us to be perfect. He's calling us to be surrendered, which means to humbly give him our best and pray and pray and pray for him to fill in the gaps, to be intentional with the ways that we interact with our children so that we can guide them peacefully in the truth to the freedom of God's word. The real question is, (laughs) how do we do that? There's a lot of ways, but I want to give you three today. And the first is this. If you have your sermon outline in your worship folder, you can pull it out and you can fill in the blanks. Number one is this. Address their attitude with your consistency. Address their attitude with your consistency. When I read, do not provoke your children to to anger, I immediately think of expectations. Like nothing makes a child quicker angry quicker than a rule that they don't want to follow. Even my one-year-old will throw a fit when you don't let them touch the electrical outlets. But the reality is it's, it's not the rules that's the problem. It's the consistency of how those rules are enforced. 
Children long for structure and stability within every aspect of their lives. And when parts of their lives are inconsistent or deficient, it leads to frustration. Have you ever had somebody in your life, when you're around them, it feels like you're walking on eggshells? Like you're not sure if you're going to do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, give them the wrong look. You're never really sure what you're going to get. Each new day is a different flower petal. He loves me. He loves me not. And one day you're, you're God's gift to their life, and the next day you're the biggest thorn in the world. This type of inconsistency breeds frustration, and it's not easy for any of us to navigate, especially for our kids. There's a diagnosis called RAD, which stands for Reactive Attachment Disorder. This diagnosis is common for children who are in foster care, mostly due to inconsistency. A child with RAD will will act out to prove what they already believe to be true subconsciously, which usually is that no one loves them and that everyone eventually leaves. The only effective strategy that's been shown to help these children is, is, is by doing the opposite, giving them consistency. Someone that that continues to stay and keep loving them regardless of their actions, proving to them what they believe to be true is wrong. And it can take a long time to to re-unwrite that, to meet their attitude with arms that welcome, embrace, and love. See, this scripture is asking for us as parents to give our kids a stable environment by consistently providing for their physical, emotional, mental and spiritual needs. And maybe you're like, that's great, Pastor Boy. <laughs> How do you do that? I want to give you a few ways you can do that. Number one, don't make promises. Don't make promises. I get the heart and an intention of a promise, but nothing in this world is guaranteed. Adults, we, we understand that a promise is just a strong desire, but kids don't get that. Broken promises feed inconsistency, and they destroy your child's faith in you. And, and it doesn't even have to be your fault. Because guys, life happens, and sometimes plans have to change. I want to read to you James 4, 13 through 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that Jesus is is reminding us how volatile life can be. And that doesn't mean that we cannot make plans, but we need to be careful how we communicate those plans. It's one of the things that you learn if you do any type of mission work, because when you go over to a third world country and you see these things that you don't have, you'll be like, listen, I'm going to go home and I'm going to send you this and I'm going to send you that. But you can't make promises because you just don't know. So what I did, I went to Haiti and they had this raggedy, nasty old djembe in the orphanage. And it's just this little drum. And it was disgusting. And I had one at home. And my thought was, you know what? If I ever come back, I'm going to bring it. But I didn't tell them that. I just waited until I knew for sure I was going to go back. And I brought it with me. Because let me tell you something. Surprises are way better than broken promises. Next piece, don't fight fire with fire. Kids are emotional, and like us, they're just trying to figure it all out. And sometimes that leads to outbursts of emotions. 
And the one thing that will never help is to match their emotion with our own. And I get it. It's, it's so embarrassing for your kids to just have a, a, an absolute meltdown in public. But we cannot let our embarrassment excuse or trigger our own meltdown. We adults are supposed to be more mature. And our own outbursts only make everything worse. And, and I'm, I, trust me, I am not trying to be judgy at all. Because you know why? Because I've been there. I've lived that. I get it. And if you've been there too, let me ask you a difficult question because this is what I thought. Was my response, was my reaction to what my kid was doing or was it a reaction to my own stress? And can I, can I be honest? And maybe this is not true for you, but I think a lot of us, we, we operate on poor diets. We operate on loads of stress. We operate on, on not a lot of sleep. And if we can't control our own emotions We have to make time for our own emotional well-being. Next piece, I think that we need to create a safe environment for them. And this is fairly simple. It's just help them believe that you're always going to be there for them. Help them feel safe. Provide the basic needs that they need to to protect them from too much exposure to anxiety. I think the other thing we got to do is help our kids find their voice. Give them a space where they can be honest with you. Create opportunities where they can ask questions. Did anybody, did anybody like it when, when you ask your parents to do something and then they told you no and they were like, but why? And then your dad and mom was like, because I said so. And that's exactly how it was said to me, because I said so, fool. No, I don't know where the, I don't know. My dad, my dad wasn't Mr. T. I don't know where that came from. This is what I have to say. I, I think that we can respect our kids enough to be honest with them. Like, tell them why you're saying no. And if you're saying no because you don't know, I'm going to give you something that is going to be freeing to you. Instead of saying yes or no, this is what you can say to your children. I need time to process that. Just saying. It can radically change your life. At the end of the day, you are the adult and you don't have to change your mind. But at least let them feel like they've been heard. And that means taking the time to listen to them. And the last and most important is that we surround our children with the truth of God. Jesus taught his disciples that that bread is not the only sustenance, that man shall not live by bread alone. He even taught us to pray for our daily bread. We need the word of God in our lives to live and thrive spiritually. As parents, it's not just our job to feed our kids food. It's our job to feed them spiritually as well. It's our job as parents to, to help our kids discover their own faith, to show our kids what it looks like to seek after God. And it's God who can radically change their lives with the fruit of the Spirit. I want to read to you Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols in your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Surround your home with the Word of God. Because in a world and a culture filled with temptation, we've got to surround our kids with the promises of God. We've got to surround our our kids with the hope of the world. Introduce them to the one who says, take heart because I have overcome the world. The next piece is this. 
Speak words that comfort and encourage. Speak words that comfort and encourage. Can you think of a word, one word that you heard when you were a kid over and over again, one word that for some of you, your entire life, you've defined yourself by that one word? For me, that word is fat. But what is it for you? What's your word? Even today, if it's still not, not easy for me not to see myself through that dysfunctional lens. That being said, I, I don't think I have to convince anybody in here that words are powerful. And their power is amplified depending on who it is that's speaking those words. And I wonder how many of us are here today and those words still have power over us. And I understand that we as parents, we, we can't say the right things all the time. Sometimes we say dumb things. And sometimes the things that we say, we never intended for them to mean that, but they got misconstrued. As parents, we, we need to understand this power and we need to take responsibility for it. And we need to learn to correct our verbal mistakes with the repetition of an uplifting narrative. This means to overwhelm that one negative thing with tons of positive things. And I get it, it's, it's our job to discipline our kids, but that doesn't mean that we have to beat them up in the process. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This verse is taken so out of context. Because a lot of people have a poor definition of what that means. The word rod. This is the same word that's used in Psalm 23, 6. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. This verse is speaking of a shepherd's staff, a staff that's used for both correction and protection. A hook on one side that was used to correct a wayward sheep, but a long stick on the other side that was used to fight off bears and wolves. But never did they use that staff to beat their sheep into submission. In fact, there's a saying among shepherds that a harsh stick makes the sheep fear the shepherd and make them wander more. It's the psalmist that says, it is the rod that brings comfort in that valley, not fear. So this is hard. So how do, how do we do this? How do we bring both correction and comfort? I think Matthew ten sixteen has the answer. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. One of the ways that I have to be better is my timing. When my children do something ill-advised, I'm quick to want to correct them on the spot. And my daughter, sadly, praisely and sadly, she, she is just like me, and she is highly self-critical. And in the moment, she's already beating herself up, and the last thing she needs me to do is to heap more negativity on top of that. She needs to be corrected, but, but sometimes the harmless side of this verse is waiting for the right time to correct her. Jesus says that we need to be wise in our words. Not avoid the hard conversation, but we can have that conversation with grace and hope because ultimately that's how Jesus interacts with us. 
It was while Jesus was dying on the cross that he spoke over those who mocked him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We have to understand that as parents, our words will either encourage or discourage. That means that our words will either give courage to our children or it'll strip it away. And this includes our nonverbal as well. What are our facial expressions communicating? What is our body language communicating? Communicating that we're annoyed, that we're tired, that we're fed up, that we're frustrated? Like sometimes you just got to go hide because you can't, you just can't parent. It's like tag in, that's, that's why there's two of us. Tag them in. And for those of you that are doing it by yourself, God bless you. Or is our facial expressions and our body language communicating grace, comfort, and understanding? I want to end this point with this verse because to me it's, it's the benchmark. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up. Let no corrupting talk, but only, let only words come out of our mouth that build one another up, that fits the occasion, that give grace to those who hear. Let me give you the last piece. Teach your children with your walk and not your talk. Teach your children with your walk and not your talk. I rode the bus from first grade to 10th grade, and it was almost always dark outside when I went to the bus stop. One morning I wake up, I take a shower, I eat my Lucky Charms, I get all my stuff, get my backpack, I walk to the bus stop, and I'm sitting there, it's dark, I'm by myself. I'm there for a solid 15, 20 minutes, and I realize, ain't nobody else coming. So I assumed that I was late. I assumed that I missed the bus. So now I'm, I'm, I'm walk of shame home, and I got to go to my dad, and I got to tell my dad, sorry, dad, you got to take me to school today because I missed the bus. Open the door, walk inside. The first thing I see is the oven, and the oven says that it's 3 in the morning. <laughs> I was sitting at the bus stop at 3 in the morning. I don't know why I didn't look at the clock before I left the house. But the thing that should have been the clue for me is that I didn't see my dad sitting in his chair reading his Bible because every morning that's where he was. While I was getting ready, he was reading the Word. And I can honestly tell you that I never remember my dad encouraging me to read the Word. And I'm sure that he did. But I'll never forget seeing him every morning starting his day with Jesus. This verse in Ephesians tells us to to give our children discipline and instruction, but the best way to do that is to model it for them. Discipline is vital, but it is most effective when someone shows you how. We were given the, the, the law in the Old Testament, and the religious kind of decided to worship the law rather than God. It, they, they, they worship the rules and regulations, and, that, and it just became another way to segregate people. Those who followed the law and were so worthy of God, and then those who didn't follow the law and became unworthy. If you were disciplined, then God loved you. But if you weren't disciplined, then God didn't love you. This is one of the things that Jesus came to correct when he came, because the one thing that the law could never do, the law couldn't account for love. 
And it is God's love that, that calls us to, to live radically different than the rest of the world. And that's why Jesus came. He came to be that example for us. He didn't use the law to distance himself from the destitute, but to model the law among the lost and the sinful so that he could bring them hope. 1 Peter 2, 21 says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus came to blow up the law so that we could focus on the only thing that matters, and that is loving one another well. The example that Jesus left us made it so much easier to be obedient to God's will. So much easier. And the best way to discipline and instruct our children is for us to follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Kids will always be more apt to do what we do rather than just do what we tell them, which in a lot of ways puts, it puts pressure on us. And I get that that's scary, but leadership is more about who you're following and not who's following you. Leadership is more about who you're following and not who's following you. And maybe today you're thinking, Pastor, well, I, can, I, can't, I can't do that. I'm not perfect. I'm not Jesus. But Jesus is not asking for us to be perfect. He's not saying that you need to be perfect to be a good parent. I think what he's saying is that you need to do two things well. Number one, seek Jesus. And let your kids see you do it. Beyond doing spiritual disciplines with your kids at home, like, like that's super great, but let them see you pray. Let them see you reading your Bible. Let them see you worshiping God. Let them see you being generous. Let them see you speaking kind words to other people. I know that the Bible says don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, but that is not what this is talking about. Your kids need to see this modeled. That means you shouldn't seek praise for your goods, but let your actions point your kids to Jesus. And number two, and, and I'll be honest, this, this, is a, this is, I think, what we don't do well enough. Apologize when you get it wrong. about to cry because I get it wrong a lot. <laughs> but it's okay. I just got to apologize. It, it's, there's so many times where I have to go to my daughter, Malin, and say, you know what? I reacted this way, and that's not okay. You deserve better than that. You deserve a dad better than that. Humility is an attribute that, that we that should be praised and not seen as weakness. Apologies can create environments where growth is encouraged. Your kids know you're not perfect. You might as well be honest with them about it. And when you are, it's only going to generate admiration and respect. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And I'm, I'm going to read this verse. This is 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. Not for what you can get out of it but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. We can get so focused on our children's behavior, but what is their behavior telling us? I want to ask you a really difficult question this morning and a question that's kind of been wrecking my heart this week. Ask yourself, are your children experiencing Christ in you? Are your children experiencing, are they coming in contact with Christ through the way that you live? 
And maybe if you're not a parent, take it a step further. Are the people that interact with you on a daily basis, are they experiencing the love of Jesus Christ in you? Good news is that Christ made a way for us to become a new creation. Scripture says the old is gone, the new has come. The old is gone. Christ made that possible. But is it you that keep going back to the old ways? God's saying, you, you don't have to be that person anymore. Lean, lean into me. Talk to somebody. Get help. Chase after Jesus. Seek him with all your heart, and he will change you. And when Jesus changes you, you're going to become so much more effective as a parent. Because we can't do it through our own strength. This morning, take an opportunity to, to, to lean into that. For me, this, this message is hard. I, I look through this and there's a lot of things that I need to work on. And, and I, was, I, I was honest when I said, I, this, this message is not about beating us up for who we've been. It's not about beating us up for the parents that we've been. And I know maybe for some of you, you're thinking, my kids don't even live here anymore. I, I can't do anything. Yes, you can. You can continue to pray over them. You can continue to encourage them. You can continue to love them even though they do dumb things. You can continue to be that voice of reason. Even when you don't think that they're listening to you, they are. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. It's our job to make sure that our kids fall in love with Jesus Christ. That means we got to fall in love with them first. Would you lead us?